This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Good morning. If you guys would join me for today's scripture reading, it's in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. If you're looking at the Pew Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 980 and 981. Give you time to get your phone out real quick. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 16. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I don't know about you. I just, um, I needed to hear, um, I think it's Psalm 73 sung over us this morning that like my heart and flesh may fail and they do. But God is our strength and our portion forever. I just, I had to sit in that this morning as we were singing. I hope it was a blessing to you to sing those words as it was to me. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And for the last several weeks, we've been going through this series of the reasons why Jesus had to die. Uh, As we continue in our season of Lent leading up till this Friday, where we will recognize uh, Good Friday uh, or the day that Jesus was crucified. Um... And then Easter Sunday, where we recognize where he was gloriously resurrected for us. This, this Sunday is particular for us as well. It is uh, in the Lenten calendar. It is, it is called Palm Sunday. This is the day where Jesus would arrive on the back of a donkey, riding into the city. And it is one of the most ironic days in the New Testament, in my opinion, because he rides into the city and he's not like already a bad guy, right? People are praising him. They're, they're putting palm trees at his feet saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In doing that, like they're declaring, admitting to themselves and all of the things that like they believe in their Jewish background, like this is the Messiah who has come to save us. They believed it on day one of Holy Week, right? Something happened though, right? We know that that didn't stay uh, the same as the week went on. The people were hoping 
And we know this because of Jewish history and just the expectations of the people at the time. They were hoping for a political warlord, right? They thought Jesus was going to come in, that he was going to flip the, the Roman oppression over on its head and return Israel to its former glory and power. And what they got instead was Jesus calling them out for idolatry, for corruption, calling them out for relying too much on their comforts, their empty religious activities. And any idea that the Jewish people had that, that this was the one that was going to rescue them, the one that we're going to lay palm branches down, it shattered uh, as the week went on. It's particularly when he flipped the temple tables and was like, this is, this is not a place for money exchanging. And, and what was happening was that the people were getting cheated. The wealthy were cheating the poor, and Jesus would have none of it. And so on Friday, they killed him. And this whole series has been about why. Why did it have to be that way? Why did Jesus have to die? And we've seen many beautiful reasons, right? We've seen he died for us because he loves us, because he loves you and he loves me. We've seen that he's died to remove condemnation for those who believe. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no more condemnation over your life. So every time you hear, I'm not good enough, I'm broke, and I've messed up too many times, Jesus is right there saying, no, 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 I died for you. You have no condemnation anymore. He died so that he, because he was our good shepherd, as Howard preached last week. He's our good shepherd who fights for us, who goes after the one who strays, right? He's our good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He protects us and he loves us and he did that for us. We get another reason this week, and it's an interesting one. We get some hints of it throughout Jesus's narrative as he's going through. In John 17, he prays a prayer that reveals one of the reasons that he himself, the king of glory, had to die. He prayed, Father, glorify me in your own presence, and don't mess this, with the glory that I had before the world existed. This is a powerful, powerful prayer where Jesus is like, I desire the glory that I had when the foundations of the world were laid, when, when the spirit was hovering over the waters and through me, right? We, have, we, we know in Colossians that the world was created through him, right? It was through him. He's like, I want that glory. Father, restore to me that glory. But that couldn't come without a cost. But the good news is we know he got what he prayed, what he prayed for. Hebrews 2.9 says that he was crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering. Because of his suffering. One pastor says this. He says, the passion of the Christ did not just precede the crown. It was the price. And the crown was the prize. And Jesus died for it. Which sounds strange to our American ears. I, I, if, you're, if you're hearing this correctly, it sounds strange because like, how, how does that affect me? How is that loving to us at all? That Jesus died for his own glory, to attain his own glory. What does that have to do with me? Which is like classic Americanism, right? Like, what does this got to do with me? It's all about me. Here's the kicker. We've been brought up in a culture where in order, um, where we're taught that in order to experience love, you have to be made much of. 
You have to be made much of. If you want to experience love, like I have to make a big deal out of you. That's what our culture teaches us. You can tell how much somebody loves you by how much of a a party they throw for you um, in life. That's what our world teaches us. And we, we may think this way and even in our flesh like desire this, but here's what's crazy. You know deep down that is not right. Like, you know, deep down, like, that's not the happiest moments of my life. That's not the moments where, like, joy floods in and my jaw hits the floor and I just can't even breathe. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you know that's not true. And I can tell you why. Like, I remember, um, I remember sitting on a boat with my dad and I remember watching um, the sunset out on the, out on the lake on this boat. And he always like made a big deal of it. And as a kid, I would just kind of be like, oh my gosh, why are we stopping the boat? Let's just keep tubing and doing all the fun stuff. And dad, like he wouldn't have it. He stopped the boat every sunset. And he would look, (laughs) he would look at the trees and he'd say, how could you not believe? He's like, look at that. Look at that. It's beautiful. Dad wasn't experiencing the joy of creation because he was being made much of. He knew, he knew deep down that there was something else going on. The moments where we have forgotten ourselves to admire the wonders of God are the best moments of our life. They're the best moments. When we see the wonders in his creation, when I, when I saw my kids for the first time, and I didn't even know what was happening in me. Like I was, sh- I was shaken, shooken, shaken. I don't know. You know, somebody, grammar Nazi, correct me. I wasn't thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about like, oh, this is what I'm going to get. Like, oh, now this, this dude's going to unload my dishwasher when he's old enough. Like that's not, hey, that, massive benefit. But that's not, praise God. That's, that's not what I was thinking of. That's not what I was thinking of in that moment. I think of it now. In that moment, though, I was thinking of what I would give up for those boys, what I would lay down, everything. When we see a community of people giving themselves away to serve others, when I see that, I'm just like, that's different. That's not, that's not what the world teaches us. It's not all about me. It's about me. It's about me. That's like what we hear. But like when you see people like sacrificing to serve one another and pouring themselves out to serve one another, like... I can't help but like glorify God. One writer says this, heaven won't be a hall of mirrors. It will be a display of majesty and it won't be our majesty. It won't be our majesty. Philippians 2, beautiful passage, amazing passage. It shows us what true love is, what Jesus did to attain this glory and this honor, like why that's super good for us. We even get a picture in the verses leading up to this passage about like what all of this love going on is. It says in verse three, just a few verses higher, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. The best kind of love is not the kind of love where we make much of ourselves. It's when we give ourselves away. In other words, the most love you can experience is when you give glory and honor to the one who has attained glory and honor because of his own sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. 
So I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Father, as we open your word, reveal to us what you're saying. Don't let us miss it. Let us see your beauty. Let us see your majesty. Let us be changed. Sitting in your presence this morning, let all of us in this room be changed. I don't want to leave without it. I don't want to go to donuts and coffee and on to my Sunday without it. Change me. Change us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, and he's exhorting them using militaristic language, right? And he's telling them to advance the gospel and be joyful in your suffering. Keep advancing the gospel. You're doing it. Keep fighting. Keep pushing forward. Push the line forward. You're doing great. Don't lose heart in the middle of your suffering because as we know, they're still in the middle of oppression. They're in the middle of Roman oppression, right? Like they're in the middle of, uh, of people coming against them and, and martyring them and, and all this stuff. Like they know it's, it's happening all around them. He's like, don't lose heart. And at the center of this teaching in chapter two, he's teaching them to make sure that Christ is the very center of their lives. It's the lens that everything that you are going through right now You have to view it through that, that Jesus Christ is the center of your life. So in the midst midst of your pain and your oppression and all the things going on around you, advance the gospel by keeping Jesus as the center. That's what he's doing throughout Philippians. And then in this chapter, he plays it out in two sections. The first one, we, we see the king of glory that we are to imitate, right? It says literally to imitate, and it paints a picture of this king of glory. The second part, though, he shows us, here's how you specifically imitate. If you're not getting it, I have some further examples of how to imitate this king. So we'll start in verse five. It says, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus in his earthly ministry stated that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And yet right here, right here in this passage, instead of hinging that against the worldly powers that be, he submits to them. He submits to them. Colossians speaks to how creation was made by Jesus. It was made for Jesus. He is the word of God, the word in John 1 that spoke the world into being. And when he walked the earth, he commanded seas to stop moving. And he commanded the winds to die down. And he commanded the dead to come back to life. This divine human in his his moment uh, on the hill on Calvary, he could have commanded all the angels and chariots of heaven to descend on his enemies. But he didn't do it. And he allowed himself to be killed. And this passage walks us through that. I need you to imagine this with me this morning because it's it's hard to catch that. I don't want you to miss it. Imagine right now, if you need to close your eyes, I get it. Like you're sitting in a courtroom and you know you're completely innocent. You've done nothing. It doesn't matter though, because you've been already tortured severely. The people around you, they want you dead. You know, it's inevitable what's coming. Hard enough for us to imagine, right? But let's say you have a secret. You have a button in your pocket, secret button. And you know if you press that button, the entire might of the military that is backing you is coming down on your oppressors. 
You know if you hit that button, all those in the room that condemn you will be wiped out in a second. You could be home. You could be safe. You know you could do that. You have the button. My guess is, and I'm guessing because I know me and I know you, we're pressing that button. Because mankind has actually been taking the self-preservation path since the very beginning. We have. We always make that choice. Fight or flight is still all about me. (laughs) It's about me. One writer says this, Tony Merida, he says, our fallen nature wants to snatch things, not offer things. Listen to this comparison of Adam and Jesus. Adam being the first of us, right? Adam was made in God's image. Jesus, however, was and and is the very essence of God. Adam wanted to be like God. Jesus took on the likeness of man. Adam wanted to exalt himself. Jesus emptied himself. Adam was discontent being God's servant. Jesus assumed the form of a slave. Adam arrogantly rejected God's word in sinful disobedience. Jesus humbly submitted to God's word in perfect obedience. Adam succumbed to temptation. Jesus overcame temptation and didn't just stay there, but he crushed the tempter. Adam brought the curse on the world and Jesus took the curse for the world. Adam was condemned and disgraced, but Jesus was exalted by the father. Jesus had all the power in the world in this moment that Philippians 2 is bringing us to, and he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Man, it, it, like, you can't get it. We, we just preached through Isaiah. If you're new, like, you should go back and listen. Like, we preached through the entire book of Isaiah, and I, we just can't get out of it. Every week, it's like, oh, man, there's Isaiah again. Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? Again. Why? For love. To be your shepherd. To remove your condemnation. And to attain glory and honor. And we know that because listen to verse 9. Jesus did all that for you. And then in verse 9, therefore, love therefore. God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's above your name. It's above my name. It's above everyone's name. Every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God in this moment bestowed on Jesus a new name, Lord. And we stand here today worshiping Lord Jesus. And right now on this earth, some bow and confess to other lords. Hey, Check this out. Isaiah 45, again, it's, it's, it's coming back. The Bible's not messing around. Isaiah 45, 23. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, are righteous and strength to him who come and be ashamed. All were incensed against him. In the Lord, all offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall, and shall glory. Hey, listen, like you're Israel, right? That's what Galatians teaches us. In Jesus, Jews and Gentiles united together in faith were all his children. We all receive glory through the Lord Jesus. And for the people who are reading this, this is, don't miss it. Calling him Lord 
meant they would have to deny Caesar as Lord. Caesar can't be Lord and Jesus be Lord. They knew the moment we start calling Jesus Christ Lord, Caesar's going to be pretty upset about that. Caesar's going to be pretty upset about that. And you know what? They were fine. They were like, cool. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Just a quick question for us as we move into the last few verses to consider and apply this passage to us today. If they had to deny Caesar, what do you have to deny right now to call him Lord? It's got to be something. It has to be something. He can't be Lord and like all this other stuff, right? Not that all this other stuff is bad. Like my kids aren't bad. My job's not bad. My wife's not bad. My family's not bad. My friends aren't bad. Money's not bad. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But the moment they become Lord is bad news. It's bad news. It's called idolatry and it leads to death. Jesus is Lord. He's the only thing that won't leave us feeling empty at the end of the day. Everything else, what are we saying? Everything else will disappoint us, but he'll never let us down. He'll never let us down. To apply this message fully, we have to go back to verse five for a moment because it says in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Praise God in Christ Jesus. This is yours. It's not like something you have to like work for. It's not something you have to pay for. It's not something that like you got to like figure out how it works. No, like this is your mind in Christ Jesus because of his death and resurrection on uh, from the grave. Like this is your mind in Christ Jesus. And he's telling us to be like him. You can now set free from sin and death be like Jesus. You can do this now. You can lay your life down. You can deny other things in life as Lord because Jesus is Lord. And then in verses 12 through 16, he gives us some imperatives that show us how to imitate Jesus. You want to imitate Jesus? Here's how you do it. I love this. Verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for whose good pleasure? His good pleasure. One pastor says this, one way to cure selfish ambition and vain conceit is by living with an awareness of the holy presence of God. That should put us in our place. That should compel us to live lives of holiness. While Christians should not be terrified of God, right? We can't be scared of God anymore. Since we have been found secure and, and, and we have refuge in Christ, we're not terrified anymore. But 2 Corinthians 5.11, we should live in awe of him. In awe of him. It's a fundamental concept for Christian discipleship. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to fear him. Deuteronomy 10.2. And we learn the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Proverbs 9.10. In the presence of our great and awesome God, let us work out our own salvation. Let us work out our own salvation. Jesus has fully done the work of your salvation. He's attained all glory and honor and power. You don't have to do that. Your job right now is to stare at him in thankfulness and awe and just, and just be like, whoa, let's go to work together. Let's go to work. Get to sharpening one another, church. You're free from sin and death. And in your new life, imitate, imitate Christ and humility and awe of God who formed you and calls you by name. Be in awe of him. You get to be invited into the labor of sanctification now. That's really fun and terrifying. Verse 14. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. How do, you, how do you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? 
Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The gun was cocked going right into this, right? Like he knew what was coming. Like, and I know this may sound trivial to you. It's like, hey, do all this amazing stuff. Like be in awe of God. Like be thankful for what he's done. Be thankful for his death and resurrection. Like all these things and do that without grumbling and complaining. It's significant though, because we've just been shown the greatest sacrifice that the world has ever seen. When, when you look at that, it should cause us being benefactors of his death, resurrection, and now we are heirs with him, right? Like the Bible calls us heirs with Christ. We get the full inheritance of heaven if we're followers of him. Like we get all that. Like it's, it's thankfulness is the response. A thankful people isn't a grumbling people. It's not a complaining people. When we are thankful people, we won't be a bitter people. When we are overwhelmed with thankfulness for Christ's sacrifice, we will be a righteous people without blemish and without stain. He's like, hey, listen, I'm I'm not saying the world's going to get any easier because it's not. Trust me, it's not. Oppression's not over. Pain's not over. Loss isn't over. Disappointment's not over yet. It will be one day, but it's not yet. And in the middle of all that, you need to just have a holy fear and awe of God. Like, and in the middle of that, like when it does get hard, don't grumble and don't complain. Don't grumble and don't complain. How do you not grumble and complain? Super easy to grumble and complain. He tells us though, he doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 16 tells us, if you don't want to grumble and complain, here's how you do it. You hold fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We're told to hold on to this word of life. I get the picture in this moment of like a buoy in the middle of a storm, right? You're out in the ocean, you're drowning. Here's this buoy. You grab onto it. Hold fast to the word of life so that your life has meaning and purpose. And your purpose is to hope in Christ. Your purpose is to be in awe of Christ, to give him the glory that he attained in the work and suffering. Your purpose is to hope in him. You don't need more self-indulgence. You don't need more stuff. You don't need more money or friends. You don't need a better job. You don't need everything to go your way. You don't need anything. You don't need your kids to be successful in school. You don't need, need those things. They're good things. You don't need those things today. What you need is Jesus who came down, who lived a perfect life, who died out of love to be your shepherd and to remove condemnation for you. You need him. He is now glorified and seated at the right hand of the father. And the best thing you can do this morning is awe and being glory. Like let him receive like all worship and praise. It's the best thing you can do. And it's the best thing you can do because what comes out of that? You imitate Christ. Your life looks less grumbly, less complainy. You start thinking of others more than yourselves. You're self-sacrificing like Jesus did on the cross. Without this gospel, without this good news, he's saying right here, your life is in vain. I don't want my life to be in vain. I want my life to have meaning and purpose. And I don't have to like figure out some like equation to do that. He's just telling me to hold on to him. He's like, hey man, hey Will, I love you. This life's gonna be really hard. It's gonna be really hard. And I love you. 
and I've removed condemnation for you. I'm your good shepherd. And I've received all glory, so just keep giving me that glory. Just keep holding on to me. Let me be your buoy. Let me be your anchor. Let me be your solid rock. Trust me. Hope in me. That's what he's saying to you. And hey, if you're a skeptic in the room, by the way, and you're like, I don't know about Jesus or church or whatever, like, let me tell you what you need. You need this kind of love. You've never experienced this kind of love. All other kinds have, I, I, I promise you, maybe you don't feel that right now, but they've disappointed you. They've let you down. My closest friends, my wife, I've let her down. I've let my friends down. I've let my kids down. I've let my church down. I've done that. I know you have. We're going to do that to each other. But he won't. He won't. And he loves you. He loves you so much. And he died for you so that you could be free. You could be free from all the things that you're struggling with, all this, all the sin that you're wrestling with, all the powers of this world that like eat at you. You can be free from those things. He is there to, to give you rest in the middle of this storm. He's there to give you rest. And he's like, hey, I just want you to hold on to me. Just hold on to me. So believer, hold on to him this morning. Skeptic, he's calling your name. Hold on to him. And do it without grumbling and complaint because he is Lord of all. And right now, not every knee and not every tongue confess. Not every knee's bowing, not every tongue's confessing, but one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess on heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus is Lord. He is returning for his waiting children. Let's hope for that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can open the scriptures and be served by you. Thankful, Lord, I'm thankful this morning that like we can even like have the space to gather together with brothers and sisters who we love, that we can like be a broken people together and that we can just fall at your feet, ask hard questions and you, we can just open your word and you're like, here's why I did those things. Here's why I died for you. God, I'm blessed this morning by your truth. Lord, when I feel weak and I feel like I can't hold on to you, can, can you encourage my brothers and sisters to help me hold on? And Lord, when, when I see my brothers and sisters that are like, I can't hold on anymore, I can't hold fast, let the believers, let me be strengthened to surround them and we can hold on together. That's why you've made church that's why you've called us into community and to fellowship with one another. It's so that we're not alone in this race. That we can together hold fast to you. And that our life will not be run in vain. It'll be with purpose. So God, if there's those in the room that like just need your love this morning, need your affection, need your strength need your strong arm to hold them? Would you go to them right now? If there's those in the room with questions and doubt and fear, let them know that you're there, that you're present, that you're not far away. 
God, for those in the room that are encouraged and ready to go out into this world and just like get after it, Lord, I pray that you continue to fuel the fire. We need their encouragement. We need their fire. We need their drive. Let the body of Christ work together. Let us be a functional body of Christ. Let the hands move, the feet move, the mouth speak, the ears hear. Let us move together as a body of Christ, working together for your will. God, thank you for Philippians. Thank you that you are seated on the throne, glorious forever. Let us continue to worship you now in your name. Amen.